From the beautiful Pacific Northwest, across the nation, and around the world, you are about to finally learn how to lose weight joyfully. It's time to get wasted with Renee. Live with Renee Steelman on TalkZone.com. Hi, good morning, and welcome to Get Wasted with Renee. I am Renee Steelman, your host on Talk Zone, and I'm so glad that you're joining me today. I hope that I am finding all of you positive, productive, and plant-based. We are going to be discussing what it means to eat a whole food, plant-based diet on this show every Thursday at 11 a.m. We will be interviewing some of the greatest experts in nutrition and health and diet, and I hope that you will be calling in with your questions about how to get healthy and how to add more vegetables and grains and legumes to your diet. So if you have any questions and you would like to talk to me or to one of my fabulous guests, you can call in at 888-463-6748. And I hope that you're joining me today because you are going to be thrilled. I have as my guest today, Ginny Messina. She is a registered dietitian, an author. She is an educator and an animal activist, among many other talents. And Ginny hails from the beautiful Pacific Northwest, as I do. And I am so pleased, Ginny, that you are taking time out of your busy schedule to talk with me today. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here and nice to meet you, Renee. Yes, nice to meet you as well. <laughs> it's so funny because I feel as though we have already met because um, I was first introduced to Ginny when I attended the Main Street Vegan Academy in New York. And uh, this is a fabulous school, and it's, uh, it's uh, conducted by Victoria Moran. And during one of the breaks, she said to me, have you met Ginny? And I was like, no. And she's like, you have to meet. So I was like, okay, I have got my instructions. And, uh, and then life, you know, just happened and, and, uh, we haven't had a chance to physically meet yet, but, no, but your we've reputation met, we've met on Twitter. You. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> and I had a, a second, um, witness of your greatness from JL as well. So oh, both of them. Good friend. Yeah, yeah, both of them said you have to meet Ginny. So, um, so I am, so I am meeting you at the same time as the listeners are meeting you today. But, um, yeah, so thank you. Thank you so much. So we, we are blessed uh, living in the Northwest. We are both, um, probably what? It's, I don't know, 40 something degrees here. What are you finding up there? Oh, yeah, that's what it's like here too. And it's sunny. It's just beautiful. Yeah, you you probably live in one of the most beautiful parts of the world, I have to say. Yeah, Port Townsend is absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, I've been there a couple of times, definitely not as many times as I wish. I, w- I need to get up there more. But uh, looking over that sound and, and seeing that water is just breathtaking. So do you have a view from your home? I have a view from my office. I can see Mount Rainier when it's when it's out of the clouds, and I can see a little bit of the water. And it's really, you know, it's really nice. For one thing, it's wonderful because you can go out and walk every single day of the year. And that's really important to me. It gets me away from my, cause, you know, I'm a writer, and so I tend to be glued to my computer. And I try to get up, try to not be sitting all day, try to get some exercise. And this is a great place to live for that. Yeah, it really is. There are very few days when you, I mean, you can talk yourself out of it easily, but there are very, very few days that you can't, uh, you know, go out outside. And in fact, when my husband and I talked about, you know, maybe getting a treadmill, I just said, you know, I don't know if I can justify that living here in the Northwest because, you know, burr and freeze to us is 40. You know, very great. rarely does it get below. So, yeah, absolutely. So, so tell everyone, Jenny, and, and, and teach me at the same time. You started out as, um, you know, pursuing your, uh, career as a registered dietitian, but you didn't start out eating vegan or vegetarian. No, I didn't. I was actually an omnivore when I first became a dietitian, and I went into dietetics because I wanted to work in public health. I was working in, uh, I was working with migrant farm workers and with pregnant teens and with with people who really needed some some help with nutrition. And um, wasn't really thinking about vegetarianism. You know, it was 30 years ago, and a lot of people weren't thinking right. about that. And right. um, and and then you know, I did. 
vegetarian cooking became more popular at that time. I started buying some vegetarian cookbooks and it, you know, it kind of caused that little light bulb to go on over my head. I started thinking more about what it meant to eat meat and what it meant to my relationship with animals. Um, and so I started learning a little bit more about plant-based nutrition and realizing that meat and other animal products weren't really necessary in my diet. And that was not something that I had learned when I was in school to become a dietitian. It was program was very focused on the importance of animal food. So that was a new part of my education. And as I became more involved in learning more about issues related to animal rights and animal use and learn more about plant-based nutrition, that kind of all came together for me. And I became a vegetarian and then a vegan and then started focusing my career and my work on teaching people about veganism and, and how to be healthy as vegans. Okay. And now, and I know that you're not from the Pacific Northwest. You actually kind of hail from New Jersey. You're kind of a Jersey girl. I am. So, I grew up in New Jersey. So how did that, how did that go with your family when you started, when you would go home for, how did you get out here actually from New Jersey? Well, I, you know, I actually, I, uh, when I started working in, um, in vegan nutrition, my husband is also a nutritionist. He has a PhD in nutrition and works in the area of soy foods nutrition, so also oh. related to vegetarianism. And we started our own little consulting company, writing and, and consulting to different organizations, and um, became self-employed as a result of that. Uh-huh. We were living in the Washington, D.C. area at, at that time. And as long as we were self-employed, we thought, well, why don't we just live in the most beautiful part of the world since we can live wherever <laughs> we want to? And right. uh, we came out here, we visited some friends out here and, and just decided that, that this was the place for us. Okay, that would that makes sense. So, okay, so then going back to my original question, um, so I am assuming that, you, like you said, you didn't grow up in a household that ate vegetarian or vegan. So when you started to kind of transition, how did that affect your family? You know, um, it's, it, certainly, it, it certainly did affect my family. It was something that was very foreign to them. I grew up in a, um, in, in a, a household that was very focused on um, German-type cuisine. You know, we ate oh. a lot of liverwurst and... And oh, I might, we just had meat at every single meal. That was just kind of what people did and what people did in the culture I grew up in. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was probably true for a lot of your listeners as well. And so, if, you know, I wouldn't say that it was a struggle. Uh, my family was very accepting of my vegetarianism and tried to accommodate that and tried to learn more about it. It was, you know, a little strange to them, but they were, were very welcoming to it. But I have to say that... Um, I was really a little bit reluctant to tell them when I went vegan because that was just too much for them. Uh, you know, the, thought <laughs> yeah. of, the thought of a diet that didn't include dairy foods, you know, they just really did not get that at all, and they were very worried about it. Um, oh. So I kind of introduced that concept to them very, very gradually. I didn't live near my family, so I wasn't seeing them on a daily basis. And, um, right. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, that was, you know, people are just a little bit freaked out sometimes about the idea of, of not eating dairy. We're so focused on that as a, as a source of calcium. Yeah, it's amazing how that has been, you know, really indoctrinated into our system. And we really have been uh, just plowed with the, the idea that if you don't have your milk at every meal, you will die. Your bones will crush and, and, you know, you will die. And it's, it's interesting though, because, um, I had, um, an interesting call last night. We have a, I am the area director, you know, for Get Wasted. And we had a director's call last night. And Dr. Mary Went is the um, co-founder of the program. And she talked, you know, with her medical background, she talked about how even for doctors, and I'm sure you find this as a dietitian, uh, even though, you know, you're a doctor, you have a tendency to fall into habits, work with what works. And when new things come about, uh, you know, we're, they're no different than the average uh, layperson. You know, new things are sometimes hard. Change is sometimes hard. So, um, you know, she talked, she gave a fabulous reference to an example with a fellow uh, doctor that when he was doing his um, um, internship, he had a patient that came in and they, the, the patient was having, you know, heart problems and they were filled with fluid. And she said the old treatment for that was to give patients mercury because it would cause the 
kidneys to shut down and their bodies would flush the fluid and then eventually the kidneys would go back but they would never go back to the way they were beforehand well then now they've come out with drugs that do that you know mm-hmm. but the old doctors were like why would you use these new drugs why well just yeah. use the mercury it works and that's the way it is with our food we've been so taught that dairy is necessary meat is necessary and so when you talk about eating a different way or getting your calcium and protein from a different source it's a whole different language it's a new world yeah, it is. It is a new world, and if, and you know because certainly milk is a good source of, of calcium. It's packed uh-huh. with calcium, and so that's what. And most of us grew up drinking that, and so that's what mm-hmm. people know. Right. And uh, and I think you know they they're not really challenged to find out about other sources of calcium if people aren't thinking about some of these other issues. Um, it's not a concern for them. They don't really have questions about where else you can get calcium. And right. So most people simply don't know that leafy green vegetables, certain leafy green vegetables have calcium and tofu has calcium and soybeans. And, of course, we have all of these wonderful calcium-fortified plant milks now, soy milk and almond milk and hazelnut milk and just, you know, really wonderful sources of calcium that are great for the environment, good for our health, good for animals. Exactly. Well, this is wonderful. I think we're getting off to a fabulous start. Let's take a little bit of a break, and then we'll be back with Jenny Messina. We'll be talking more about transitioning to a vegan or whole food plant-based diet. So let's take a break. Welcome back. You're listening to Get Wasted with Renee on Talk Zone. Here's Renee Steelman. Okay, I, we are back. Thank you so much. All right, thank you for joining me. My guest today is Jenny Messina. Jenny is a registered dietitian. And Jenny, I wanted to ask you, you mentioned in your, um, uh, when you were speaking a little bit about how you had to kind of go back when you, when you did some more research on eating vegetarian or vegan mostly, that you had to go back and unlearn wrong ideas that you had gotten from school and for work. Talk about some of those things. Well, yeah, and I think that, um, I, they probably weren't so much wrong as they were, I would say, incomplete. Um, you know, this idea that, that we need to have that we need to have milk for calcium. That's sort of an incomplete understanding of where calcium come from, comes from because there's you know such a vast array of foods that provide it. The same thing with protein. You know we all know that protein is really important. It's good for your muscles and good for your bones, but you don't have to get it from meat. There are so many wonderful foods that are good sources of protein: um, beans and soy foods and nuts and seeds. And when I was in uh, school to become a dietitian, of course, we learned that those proteins and plant foods are incomplete, that they don't provide enough of the right kinds of protein. And that was something that was wrong. It's, it's you know, a, a lot of these are issues that we have. It's not so much that, that um, people were wrong at the time. It's just that we had an incomplete understanding about them. And as research has evolved, we, ha- we know more about all of the good things in plant foods and how good they are for providing the, the nutrients that we need. That's so true. And I, and I think that's really, I, I really like that you pointed that out, that, it, you know, with the knowledge that we have now, you know, you can't compare um, the knowledge that we had 30 years ago with what we know today. Right. Um, and I think that's really good to, for people to understand. And, but then again, it's also, you know, as with everything else, technology and everything else that's going on, it is our responsibility to continue learning. We need to be continually, you know, continually learning throughout our life. Now, and, and that brings me to the point that there's still that old concept. I remember years ago, like my, my, um, let's see, my oldest child is, uh, I don't even want to talk about how old my oldest child is, but you know, like you say, a little over 30 years ago when I, you know, started having children and I really wanted to feed my children, um, healthy food and I wanted our home to be, you know, a nutritious, um, home. Um, I would, well, I would listen to people talk about eating vegetarian and I don't think I even knew the word vegan at that time. And it, there was always that talk about making sure you had all of your complete amino acids and that it was important that you have your, mix your rice with your beans. And, and I remember that that, that is what turned me away from it because I thought, 
I, I can't think that hard about my food. I, I just can't be worrying that I forgot to add my beans with my rice. So how do you, how do you address that? Or, or have you had to even reteach people because of the new knowledge we have? Oh, sure. And, and yes, we, we've had to reteach people. I've had to relearn it myself because when I first went vegetarian, I was reading the book Diet for, for a Small Planet, which is, um, you probably read that too. And that's the book by Francis Moore LePay that made this idea of food combining so popular, eating grains with legumes to get a complete protein. And again, at the time, that's the way, that's what we understood about protein. That's what we knew. We now have a much better understanding of the fact that as long as you are eating a variety of plant foods throughout the day, they kind of combine over the hours and, mm-hmm. um, and make these complete proteins. And so we don't need to eat specific combinations of foods at each meal any longer. But that's something that we've learned within the past 15 years or so. And of course, a lot of people who are not vegetarian and not really invested in knowing about these things, including health professionals, may not have learned that. So it's, it's still information that we kind of have to get out there and, and educate people about. Right. And I, when I heard that, I just remember kind of lowering my shoulders and giving out like a sigh of relief because I am just absolutely amazed at the human body and, and what our body does. And when I see how people are able to survive under different circumstances, horrible circumstances, you know, starvation, you know, uh, concentration camps. I, my husband and I had the opportunity to visit Normandy uh, this last fall, and it really awakened my desire to learn more about World War II and the things that were going on during that time. And you see these people that lived under these horrible, starving, you know, conditions, and they survived, mm-hmm. you know. And so it really, you have to have so much respect and awe and wonder for our bodies and what they do. Yeah, our bodies can really compensate for for a lot of abuse, at least in the short term. They mm-hmm. can, of course, you know, people can't live like that for the long term, and we can't eat an unhealthy diet. For We can eat an unhealthy diet for a few weeks, but we can't do it for... <laughs> For the long term and, and, and expect that, that the body's not going to suffer from that. So it really is true that in the short term, our body is really um, just amazing, an amazing machine that can, that can um, stand up against a whole lot of abuse. Um, but, of course, over the long term, we want to eat a healthy diet and live a healthy lifestyle to, to thrive and not just survive. Exactly. And I do, I do find that eating... Um, you know, the, the beautiful, beautiful, uh, colors and things that are out there that I find myself eating because A, I'm hungry, but when I'm hungry, my choice, my choice goes to something that when I look at it, I just kind of envision what it's doing when it goes into my body and, 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 you know, and it's so funny because this morning I was fixing a breakfast and I, I was just fixing, um, a slice of, uh, Ezekiel bread and then I put some mashed avocados, some sliced tomatoes and some lemon ju- or lime juice. And as I was fixing this on the Today Show, they were talking about how, you know, new studies have found that avocados, eating an avocado a day will lower your cholesterol, you know. And it changes your whole idea about food and why we eat. You know, not that you don't get pleasure from right. just food, but there's more pleasure when you put the food in your mouth and yeah, it tastes great, but then you just kind of think, this is, I'm lowering my cholesterol right now, you know? Yeah, I know. It's re- it, and it is, it is kind of a, it's a good to look at food in that kind of holistic, with that kind of holistic approach. Um, it, as you said, you do want to enjoy your food, and what you just described sounds really pleasurable. It sounds really good, and it's it's nice to know that when we eat these foods that are good for us and good for the planet and that don't harm animals, that um, there are all these chances to get some really wonderful health advantages from them as well. So we can make choices that kind of um, sa- satisfy all of those things: good food, responsible food, healthy food. Right, exactly. Now, you mentioned before when we were talking about calcium and protein, you mentioned the soybeans and the tofu. Um, how do you address the concern that people have with the soy? There's a lot of concern and talk out there about soy. How do you address that? 
Well, the concern about soy foods is that um, soybeans contain compounds called isoflavones, which are a sort of plant estrogen. And people are concerned that this is going to, that eating these foods is going to have estrogenic effects on, on the body. The, the issue is, however, the, the reality is that isoflavones are not exactly the same as estrogen, and so they actually have kind of different effects on the body. In some parts of the body, they do act a little bit like estrogen, and it's to our advantage. For example, um, there's some evidence that they have estrogenic effects on the skin, which is really good because it means... Oh, yeah. Yeah, they probably reduce wrinkles, and there's a lot of research um, looking at that right now. In other parts of the body, they don't act like estrogen, and they may actually have anti-estrogenic effects, like in breast tissue. Um, the evidence suggests that young girls who eat soy foods during puberty while their breasts are developing have a lower lifelong risk for breast cancer because it does something to the, to the cells that makes them resistant to cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, so soy foods are really complex, and they have a lot of different effects in the body, but the, ov- the evidence suggests overall that those effects are either kind of neutral or that they're positive. So I do eat soy foods. I really like them. I really like tofu and tempeh. Those are my two favorites. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I do eat them regularly and, and feel pretty confident that, that uh, they're good for me. Now, do you think that – I read an article once that said um, – because I remember – when a lot of the controversy started coming up about soy, I lived in Japan for um, a couple of years, and I and my so my response was, boy, I don't know because you know I, I lived in Japan and there were soybeans, I swear, in everything. I remember walking down the street and stopping off at a little oh you know little store and getting what I thought was like a chocolate chip ice cream bar and <laughs> took a bite out of it and come to find out. There were soybeans in it. Those little brown things were soybeans. They were not chocolate chips. And I just remember thinking, oh, come on, you know. And then you'd get the, I can't remember the name, but there's a, a, a white powdered, looks like a, a powdered donut, you know. And I, I got that and I took a bite out of it and it was filled with soy paste, you know. Yeah. And so I remember thinking, I don't know if that really, if I can believe that there is that much, that there, that soy is that bad for you because I don't know. It's, it seems to be in everything. But then I read this article that said that they don't, the um, the Japanese and a lot of other Asian cultures do not actually eat as much soy as we are consuming here. Is Do you find that? No, that's really not true. The, um, okay. Uh, um, in Japan, average soy intake is about one to one and a half servings per day, which is considerably more than, than what the average American is eating. And a lot of the um, a lot of the research on health benefits of soy have have been in Japan and, and other Asian countries, and often the best benefits are found among older Asian people, and they tend to eat more soy foods because they eat a more traditional kind of diet. Oh. And, um, so sometimes they're eating as much as two or three servings of soy foods per day. So soy intake in uh, it varies greatly throughout Asia. Um, it's really mm-hmm. low in some parts of Asia and very high in other parts. But um, for the most part, people in Asia are, meat, are eating a lot more soy foods than, than people in Western countries. Okay. And then what about the GMO? A lot of people have, you know, oh, I don't eat soy because of the GMO issue. Well, so, I, you know, yeah, I don't, I don't know because that's kind of outside my area of expertise. Um, I don't really know. It's a very complex area, the, the, the effect of GMO on health and, and the environment. And it's not really a nutrition area, so it's something I right, that's think true. about. But, you know, when I look at tofu and other soy products, um, veggie meats and tempeh and all of the soy products in the grocery store, they are almost all organic. So mm-hmm. I think that people who want to avoid um, GMO soy have absolutely no problem doing so. They can just choose organic um, products made from organic soybeans, and, and they'll be fine. Yeah, that's what I found, too. I mean, things seem to be very, at least in this part of the world, things to be right. see, seem to be clearly marked, you know, and you can avoid GMOs fairly easily if you can trust the packaging. But, right. um, yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking as well. So... Um, how do you address people uh, in your in your career? Do people come to you and talk to you about children? How to feed picky eating children, and how do you address that? Well, I think that this is one of the thing. This is one of the hardest things I think for families who decide that they want to eat a more plant based diet or eat a vegan diet. 
you know, for adults, um, it's, it's, it's a little bit easier to be making food choices that are going to be satisfying, whereas very young kids who might be picky eaters or have, be very restrictive and very restricted in the types of foods they like to eat, it can really be a challenge. But there are a lot of kid-friendly foods that um, can really play an important role in in uh, vegan diets. For example, you know, peanut butter and banana sandwiches. Most kids like peanut butters or peanut butter mm-hmm. or other nut butters. Those are really good sources of protein and zinc and iron. So that's something that you can emphasize in children's diets. Um, cereals, like, you know, certain uh, prepared cereals or commercial cereals that are a little bit lower in sugar. You know, a lot of them are so packed with sugar, but you can mm-hmm. find some better choices. Um, with fortified soy milk or almond milk can be great choices for kids. Some of them might like some of the veggie burgers. You know, a lot of a lot of little kids aren't going to be so crazy about beans, but um, they might eat veggie burgers and they might eat some homemade burgers made from nuts and, and vegetables that are kind of blended in so you can't see them. So I think parents just have to do a lot of experimenting, which is true of kids eating, you know, Diets that contain meat as well. They right, yeah, and, and pretty hard to feed. But um, yeah, yeah, my our, my book uh, Vegan for Life has a, a chapter on uh, feeding children with a, a list of good snack items and and some sample menus for families who are just starting to adopt a vegan diet. Right, and I and I think that's that's a fabulous segue. Talk to me about what was the first book that you wrote? Well, the first book that I in, in this part of my life, I wrote books before I became vegan, but in this part of my life, the first book that I wrote was uh, Vegan for Life, which I wrote with Jack Norris, the dietitian who works for um, the national nonprofit organization Vegan Outreach. And um, he is a dietitian, and we wrote this book together because we wanted to um, provide something that was very concise easy to read in a short period of time that covered all of the important nutrition issues for people who are new to veganism or had questions about eating a plant-based diet. We wanted to make it as simple but as thorough as possible, and that was that was the, the rationale behind writing that book. Okay. And then... Um... How, and then just give me a rundown on, on how your books progressed. Then what was what was the next step? Well, the next step was I wrote um, I wrote the book um, with with uh, J L Fields, who you know, who okay. met at mm-hmm. Main, Main Street, uh, the Main Street Vegan Academy. Um, she and I wrote the book Vegan for Her, which is a book on vegan nutrition for women, obviously. And mm-hmm. um, that book focused more on how plant based diets can address some. Uh, issues that are specific to women. I talked a lot about the relationship of diet to fertility, um, good diet for pregnancy, for uh, dealing with some menopause issues, things like depression, which is more common among women, how diet can affect that. And um, um, and we also talked about some fun stuff about vegan fashion and vegan makeup and um, and so that's that's kind of a fun book, and then the yeah. book th- and then the book that I wrote most recently with Carol Adams and Patty Brightman is Never Too Late to Go Vegan, which is a guide to going vegan after the age of fifty. People often think that it's too late, you know, they're too old to change their diet to the, to adopt a plant based diet or to worry about these issues, and it's actually a great time to go vegan. Yeah, that's that's funny that you would say that because Dr. Mary was saying last night that she met with a client that came in that was having some uh, heart issues, 87, I think she said she was 87 years old, very thin, uh, but she was in the hospital and was having some heart issues. And so Dr. Mary talked to her about changing her eating and in eating a more plant-based diet. And, and the lady said, you know what, I have gotten along just fine. You know, so far, and Dr. Mary said, you know what, you have, but let's not do fine, let's do great. And that kind of awakened this lady, and she's like, okay, tell me more. And so they went through her diet, and they talked about what she typically ate, and what she, how she could, you know, transfer the milk to a, a non-dairy milk, and this kind of thing. And she was, by the time they got through, this lady was so excited you know, to go home and start eating a plant-based diet at 87 years old, you know. Yeah, that's so great to hear. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, and I loved, you know, I loved your latest blog entry about why people fail and how, you know, because I've heard that, you know, oh, I was vegan for a year 
you know, or, oh, I did that for a couple of years. So t- talk a little bit about that. I thought that was a great uh, blog entry. Well, that was a, thank you for that. That was a, a, a blog entry that was in response to a survey that was done by the organization Humane Research Council. And they, they surveyed over 11,000 people to, to find out, um, you know, what percentage of the population was vegan or vegetarian and what percent of those people abandoned their vegan or vegetarian diet. And, um, my goodness, it was, it was, uh, very alarming because they found that um, 70% of people who go vegan end up abandoning their diet. Um, and there were lots of reasons for it. There were, and just, you know, everything that you would guess, everything that you would, would imagine would be the reason that somebody would abandon a vegan diet. It was because of convenience. It was because they didn't like sticking out from the crowd. They were bored with their food. They were worried about their nutrition and worried about their health. So, uh, you know, it's unfortunate because these are all things that we can address very mm-hmm. easily, um, all problems that we can solve very easily, and, and that's something that we really need to be working on to help people um, as, when they go vegan to address things like boredom and nutrient needs and, and things like that. Exactly. And I, I totally... Um, understand that feeling of not wanting to stand out, not wanting to be the weirdo in the crowd that's like, oh, crud, what's she doing now? You know, yeah. oh, she's doing vegan. We'll see how long that lasts, you know. <laughs> and my, you know, my, I mentioned before my husband and I had gone on vacation and I, I called ahead of time and talked to the, the tour group and said, you know, I, I'm eating vegan. Um, and they said, okay, we'll do the best we can. And the tour guide that we had, well, which you would know, it's Rick Steves right there in Seattle or, you know, right oh, there. Yeah. Everett is, Everett, is that where they're at? But anyway, yeah. so yeah, we went on a Rick Steves tour and the, um, the guide called ahead every restaurant that we, you know, that we were going to. They had a special meal prepared for me. And, you know, I found myself at one point, you know, we're on the bus and they're, She's passing around the uh, clipboard with the choices that we had to make for lunch that day. Would you like the, you know, the baguette with the ham? Would you like a baguette with cheese? Or would you like the baguette with ham and cheese? Those are the choices, you know. <laughs> and I would just say, oh, I'm fine. I'll just get the ham and I'll just take the ham off, you know. And every time the tour guide would come back to me, it should say, I thought you said you were eating vegan. You know, I'm like, I know, but I don't want to, I don't want to bother anybody. And she'd be like, no, we have a vegetable sandwich all prepared for you. And it was beautiful. And sometimes I have to say though, because we were in France, the, one of the baguettes that we got, I've never eaten so many baguettes in my life. Um, you know, so they're long as you have about eight inches, you know, of this baguette and they just put like a Dijon mustard on it and then they had carrots and lettuce but the the horseradish in this design i was like oh i'm so hungry but oh, this is so hot i don't know if i can finish this you know but um sometimes we would we would go to the restaurant and people would look at my plate and they would be like how did you get that that's beautiful and i'd be like i just asked for it you know yeah so but I understand that. I sympathize with people. Because you don't, you just don't want to be the weirdo or you don't want to be the one that's, excuse me, could I have a, you know, um, and sometimes it, you know, sometimes we, when I was just back in New York, we went to a restaurant and I ordered a, they described this dessert for me. And I said, oh, that sounds beautiful. So they brought it out and I looked at it and I was like, okay, I don't know what you called this, but this is sliced bananas on a plate. So, you know, I think I'll, yeah, I'm good. I know. And I, and I have been in situations like that too, where, it, you know, you're at a, a banquet or something or at a meal and everybody gets some kind of a, of a chocolate cake for dessert and the vegans get sliced bananas on, on a plate. Uh-huh. And that yeah. doesn't, and you know, I think that's the kind of thing that, that causes people to end up abandoning a vegan diet because that, you know, it's not that we want to be eating dessert all the time, but we want some treats too. Vegans want some treats too. And we don't want people to think that this is what you have to eat when you go vegan, that you're never going to have any macaroni and cheese. You're never going to have any burgers. Sure, we want to eat a healthy diet most of the time, but we also want to have a lot of variety in our diet. We want to have some treats occasionally and some comfort foods. And all of those things are available to vegans. Um, so we right. just need to know where to find them, how to make them, where to buy them, and everything that everything that you could want as a vegan. It's all available to us, and that's just kind of the information that we need to get out there. 
which is lovely. Like you say, I know Victoria, you know, has been a vegetarian vegan for golly, what, um, almost 40 years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the beautiful cheeses and the, and, and like you say, the foods that are available to us, um, you know, they weren't around back then. So it was definitely no. a different, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely a different world. And the same thing with meeting nutrient needs. We have so many, uh, you know, we have uh, so much more access to foods that can help vegans to meet needs for calcium and iron and zinc and protein. We didn't have those 30 years ago, but they're here now, and um, we just, you know, we want people to know about that. We want them to know that this is not difficult. It's not dangerous. You're not going to be um, suffering nutrient deficiencies when you go vegan as long as you know a few things about nutrition, a few things about food choices. Well, and talk about that. So what are the things that we need to know? Well, you know, we talked a little bit about protein, and I think that, mm-hmm. that vegans need to know that, um, you know, we're not eating meat and dairy anymore, but we have good protein-rich foods in our diet. It's important to include legumes in your diet every day. These are, mm-hmm. um, you know, beans like hummus and bean burritos and also soy products and also peanuts. So peanut butter counts as a legume. And it's important to include those foods, and they're very protein-rich. You want to include those in in your diet on a daily basis. And they also provide iron and zinc, which are, you know, important nutrients that vegans need to give a little bit of attention to. Um, Mm -hmm. We want to include a little bit of nuts and seeds in our diet to make sure that we're getting some of those micronutrients, those minerals, iron and zinc as well. And then good sources of calcium, like the leafy greens, kale and collards, um, uh, soy products like uh, tofu that's made with calcium salt with calcium sulfate or fortified plant milks like fortified almond milk, all good sources of calcium. And then, of course, all vegans need to make sure that they're taking a supplement of vitamin B12. Mm-hmm. And explain that. I remember when I first heard that, I remember being um, conflicted because, you know, I really, really love the idea of being supplement-free you know, medication free. And so when I, you know, and I thought if I eat, you know, really, really healthy, I don't really need to take any supplements. So when I learned that, yes, you do, you really do need to take B12, I remember asking, uh, I said, well, um, if I want to be supplement free, how do non-vegans get their B12? And, you know, someone said, well, they get it from the meat. But then I learned that you get it from the meat because the cows or whatever you're eating eat plants. And it was the dirt. It was the, the, um, you know, it, it, talk, talk a little bit about that. It was the, um, what's the word I'm looking for? You, you, you'll know. Fill the bacteria. me in. The, the there we go. The bacteria. Yeah. The, yeah. Yeah, the B, yeah. Vitamin B12 is, is manufactured by bacteria and, um, and all of the vitamin B12 in the world is manufactured by bacteria. So animals can get it sometimes from from some of the the bacteria in that's kind of coating the food that they're eating. That's on the um, on the grass and on the the natural foods that are growing out of the ground. They also produce some bacteria in their intestines, and that becomes a source of of um, vitamin B12 for people who are eating meat and dairy products. We get it, vegans get it, by taking supplements of vitamin B12 that is also produced by bacteria. So it's all the same. It's all okay, coming yeah. from the same source, and it, and it doesn't really matter. And, you know, it's a small thing. I know that, that people would like to be supplement-free, but, you know, I just look at it. We have this opportunity to eat a diet that doesn't contribute to the suffering of animals, that's really good for the environment, that provides lots of great things for us. And the only thing that stands between us and and eating that diet is taking this vitamin B12 supplement. So, Uh you know, it's a small thing. And I think, wow, if that's what I need to do in order to to be vegan, um, it's not a big deal. Right. That, you're absolutely right. And, and that brings me to the question. Well, let, you know, well, let's take a break and then I'll ask you. I wanted to talk to you a little bit okay. about, you know, how learning more about factory farming and things kind of brought you to this eating lifestyle. So let's take a break and then we'll come back with Ginny Messina and talk more about that. Now it's time to get healthy and lose weight joyfully. You're listening to Get Wasted with Renee on Talk Zone. 
here's Renee Steelman. Hi, welcome back. Thank you so much for coming back and joining me today. I'm speaking with uh, Jenny Messina. Jenny is a registered dietitian, and we are having a fabulous conversation about eating a whole food plant-based diet. And Jenny, you mentioned that, you know, when you were, um, uh, working as a registered dietitian, that what was it that, that was your aha moment? Um, well, I had a couple of aha moments. I've uh, had uh, um, I was uh, learning how to cook. I was very much into cooking, of course. You know, I was into food. I was a dietitian, and I was uh, newly married, and was was really kind of learning to cook for my myself and my husband. And I was experimenting with vegetarian cookbooks at that time simply because that was kind of popular. You know, the Moosewood cookbook was first published. Laurel's Kitchen was was published at that time. Those were very big kind of hippie cookbooks in, during that era. And um, I was really having fun with them. And I think that it was it was uh, partly related to, um, to my experience with enjoying some of those meatless meals that the little light bulb kind of went on over my head and I realized that... Um, I, I kind of made that connection between the meat on my plate and the animals that I really cared about. And I think that becoming more familiar with vegetarian meals and with vegetarian cooking sort of allowed me to make that connection because it wasn't so scary anymore. I was realizing that vegetarian meals were really good. They were really fun, um, you know, really tasty. And so I was able to make that connection. And then it was a few years later that I went to work for the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine as their dietitian. And that's, uh, they promote a vegan diet, of course. And that's when I started learning about factory farming and realized that, um, the animals that produce dairy products and eggs also suffer in that industry. So, um, uh, that was kind of an eye opener for me. And that's when I adopted a vegan diet. Yeah. And you know, it's funny because talking about, um, you know, new knowledge that we have, um, when I, uh, you know, my mom grew up on a farm in the Midwest and she grew up during the Depression and dur- during World War II. And if it wasn't for them having a, 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 a garden, you know, they, they would have starved. I mean, they really relied on their own uh, food that was in their backyard to eat. And so, you know, when she grew up with, chickens running around her yard and and actually going out and getting a chicken if you know it's like go get a chicken we're gonna we have company we're going to fix a meal so when I would talk to her about this and I would she would say well I I really like you know my eggs or whatever and I would say you need to watch this documentary she had didn't have a clue that that's how these chickens were being raised Mm-hmm. in this day and age. And it was an eye opener for her because that isn't her paradigm. That wasn't what she was familiar right. with. Right. And um so it is important to it's a different world and this this extreme, you know, gluttony that we have, this need for the eggs and the dairy and the meat that's causing this factory farming is just wow. It's amazing. Yeah, it but, is. And I think and I think that people you know people just people still have that paradigm, whether they grew up on a farm or not. Um, because the, the the animal food in, industry is very good at promoting this idea that their animals are happy, and you know you go in the store and buy a carton of eggs, and it's got a picture of a you know happy little chicken running around on it, and right there doesn't have a picture of a chicken in a battery cage on it, so people just right. really don't know. And yeah. fortunately, we're seeing a lot. You know, we have ex- like the film you talked about. We have exposés now um, yep. how these animals are really being raised, and it's opening a lot of eyes I think. Yeah, it really is and it's and it's really good. And the other thing I'm finding is that it you know it is slow but I think it's progressing pretty well. I happened to be standing in line uh out in New York last week and there were two women standing in front of me. One was an Afri- African American, the other lady was Asian. And they both started chatting and they started saying how they have discovered that they're lactose intolerant, that they just don't do well with milk. And of course I had to lean over and hand them one of my cards, you know, but they they both, you know, this was something where they had given up dairy strictly because they had kind of gotten in tune with their body and realized that it didn't do well. They didn't do well on dairy. And that's kind of a, that's beautiful. I, I love yeah. that people are coming to that 
somehow yeah, on their own. Yeah, I, I do too. And it's interesting because, of course, the dairy industry produces all of these, uh, lac- you know, they've taken the lactose out of a lot of their products and, and you know, to make these products digestible for people who have lactose intolerance. And, and you know, and I know a lot of people who are lactose intolerant end up buying those those lactose-free dairy products instead of thinking, well, you know, maybe maybe dairy's not really supposed to be a part of my diet if right. I have so much trouble digesting it in its natural state. And um, and of course, there are you know such great alternatives to it that there's no you know there's no reason not to just abandon dairy and and try something different. Right. And I know it, it, you know, that is kind of my, I always tell the story that when my mom, you know, gave me all of my baby books and things like that, and I was reading through, and there was an entry in there where she talked about bringing home this baby and how this baby cried continually and just screamed. And they, she's going back to the doctor and they're trying goat's milk and they're trying this and they're trying that. Obviously, I didn't do well on formula. And, you know, and so I even remember with my, my oldest child, you know, nursed him for, uh, a year he was on breast milk and when i introduced milk he immediately broke out into a rash and got this deep deep cough you know and i remember going wow you're allergic to milk too you know and so all of my kids all of my kids are i mean that's what does that say i mean my brother is my grandchildren are you know and yet when my my daughters take their children to the pediatrician uh, with a respiratory issue, you know, the doctors will go, yeah, they're probably allergic to milk, but what are you going to do? Yeah. Just, you know, here, just do this nebulizer and give them a bottle of milk. Yeah, you know? because, yeah because, and it's just because they're, they're not, you know, they're not as familiar with the, with the alternatives. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So talk about, as we're, we're wrapping up the show here, we've got about six minutes left. For the new year, what are your suggestions for people who want to start eating more plant-based? They want to really, I was like, all right, I want to try this vegan thing. Tell me, what are the first things I need to do? Well, you know, one of the, we've talked a lot, we've talked a lot today about calcium and and about alternatives to dairy products. And the first thing that I always suggest that people do, if they want to do this kind of stepwise, if they want to take it one step at a time, the first thing I think anyone should do is to drop cow's milk from their diet and find one of the plant milks that, uh, find a plant milk that they enjoy because there are so many of these plant milks soy, almond, hazelnut, rice, you know, um, oat milk made from all different kinds of things. There's cashew milk now that mm-hmm. there is just no way that any that people will not find something that they enjoy. It's a really easy change to make, and you can use these milks in the exact same way that you use cow's milk on cereal, in baking, to make pancakes, to make sauces. So I always suggest that as a first change to make because it is so easy. Um and then I also suggest uh, from uh, the perspective of um, having a huge impact on animal welfare that people drop chicken from their diet because um, chickens are, you know, all animals are poorly treated in the factory farming complex, but chickens really have it the worst and they're not covered by things like the Humane Slaughter Act and they're small animals, so when we eat chicken meat, we end up eating a lot, you know, killing a lot more animals. So I always suggest that people start out by eliminating or cutting way back on chicken meat in their diet as a way to have a really big impact on animal suffering and Mm -hmm. to reduce animal suffering with your choices. Yeah, uh, I remember when I heard that. Uh, I have, that was a little bit of an aha moment for me. They, you know, I remember, uh, I don't remember, I think it was Victoria was just saying that, you know, when people say, well, I don't eat red meat, I just yeah. eat chicken. And they're kind of like, well, we would prefer if you're going to eat it, eat the red meat. Right. And then she explained that and I was like, oh my gosh, that makes so much sense. Yeah. And of course you're right. You know, people always do just the opposite. They give up red meat right. and, and save chicken for last. And then I also recommend that people start exploring legumes, um, soy products and beans. You know, a lot of us did not grow up eating these foods. I sure didn't. And mm-hmm. they're so good for you. They are, you know, such a great way to add protein to your vegan diet, but they also have lots of other advantages. They help to lower blood cholesterol. They're packed with fiber, um, lots of folate, and potassium, all, all things that are great for us. So uh, start, you know, poking around on the Internet looking for good bean recipes. 
um, curries and chilies and um, Mediterranean bean soups. There are so many great uh, peasant food kinds of dishes that use beans mm-hmm. that are that are really good, and that's a really good way to start making the transition away from meat is to start enjoying more of these foods. So that's a really important thing to do. And and it's really hard because for the last you know at least thirty years, legumes and grains have just been you know Satan. It's like, yeah. you know, if you just do not eat a grain, you know, do not right. eat a piece of bread. And so it's an, it's definitely, I remember when I first started kind of eating it, adding a, you know, a little bit of oil and I was, you know, making up one of my recipes. And I remember thinking, okay, here we go. Cause it was like I was eating a really bad thing, you know? Yeah. Um, but it's, it's so important to remember. And I'm sure you, you know, that you cannot live on vegetables. You yeah, have you to can. have. Right. You can't live on vegetables. You have to have some calorie-rich foods in in your diet or you're going to be very unhappy and you're going to be hungry all the time. So you have to eat some of these heavier foods like beans and grains. Whole grains are good for you. Um, They're, you know, great for your digestion and, and, you know, they have iron in them. So, um, yeah, it's important to include these foods in your diet or you're not going to be a happy vegan. Exactly. And I wish we had more time because I'd love to talk more when, you know, with all of the um, gluten-free things that are out there, when I talk to people about eating grains and legumes, they'll say, well, I can't, you know, it upsets my stomach. And I'm always like, oh, darn. You know, how do you address that quickly? What would your answer be? Well, you know, I think that there certainly there are a lot, if people don't want to eat gluten, there are lots of grains that don't have gluten. Quinoa is a great choice for people who want to avoid gluten. And for beans, you know, you just have to soak them and discard the soaking water to get rid of those sugars that cause gas production. And if you do that, if you soak them and get rid of the water a few times, they're very low in those sugars and, and beans should be really easy to digest if you do that. That's perfect. Well, thank you so much, Ginny. It, please, everyone, go and get her books, Vegan for Life and Vegan for Her, and her newest one, Never Too Late to Go Vegan. They're fabulous reads, and it was such a pleasure. I hope that we will actually be able to meet in person, face-to-face at some point. I'm sure so we too. will. What's the next so thing that you're going to be? Uh, are you going to be somewhere at, at some fabulous vegan event? Well, I'm, uh, the only things on my schedule right now are for May. I'm going to be at the, the Veg Fest in um, uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, and then I'm going to be at Vita Vegan Con in Austin, which is a wonderful vegan. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's really well, fun. I might just have to go to that just to meet you. Oh, I I'll, hope I'll, you make, do. I'll put that a priority. Thank you so much. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you, everyone, for joining me today. It was a fabulous show. I loved listening to Jenny. She's so knowledgeable. And I really encourage all of you to at least try to eliminate some of the meat and dairy from your diet. Try a meatless Monday. If that's just the beginning for your family, that would be a great way to start. Uh, catch me next week. We'll have another wonderful discussion. And uh, see you later. Thanks. Bye-bye. <laughs> 